Good morning. I'm Wimala, and today is December 14th, and uh, we're moving rapidly through the holiday month. So today, I'd like to share a little bit more from Wisdom is Bliss by Robert Thurman. And uh, this morning I was listening to a wonderful Dhamma discussion with questions and answers on uh, the Urban Buddhist Monk channel on YouTube. That's Bhante Saranapala's channel. And it's the sutra discussion with monastics, uh, bhikkhus and bhikkhunis in the Theravadan tradition around uh, some some in Europe and all over the place. I was going to say around the country, but they're around the world. And they're having interviews, and uh, they, they have the guest is uh, Bhante Gunaratana, Bhante G, and some wonderful questions, and questions about mindfulness, and uh, just questions you would really appreciate. And that's on YouTube. And uh, I, I really recommend it because his answers are his answers are very clear, um, and uh, the questions are very good. So that's the urban the urban monk, or it might be the urb, the urban Buddhist monk, but it's Bhante Saranapala's, and it's the patchwork screen with all the the uh, monastics. In the, in the boxes, and uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi is also joining that group. So, um, before I disrobed, I had to drop out of that group because it, the dates changed and conflicted with our book group. So, it's, uh, it's still very good to watch and very good questions and answers when they have a guest teacher. So, I recommend that. There's so much, there's so much beautiful Dhamma on YouTube and all over the internet, and hopefully you're near enough to have a place to go to have a to have a live sangha. But take advantage of those things that you can watch. So we are still in the realistic worldview, and one of the questions, uh, one of the monks who was in, at Oxford uh, was asking about. The word realistic. I mean, have, that word. When we talk about being mindful, we're talk, or are we talking about being realistic? And uh, G addresses that question, and he said, when we are being mindful, whatever we're looking at, uh, there is yes, we want to be realistic. But what we're watching when we're mindful with everything we do during the day, as we are being aware and attentive to the outside world. What we're really watching is our mind. So we have to always remember that. Uh, what kind, what's, what kind of, uh, what, what's rising up in our mind in reaction to the world and everything outside of us? So that's where we look at seeing any of those qualities of greed, hatred, and delusion rising up in our minds. So we're being, we are being realistic about the world. We're having a realistic, we want that realistic view, but we want to see how our mind is responding and reacting to it. 
that's what our focus is on. So I thought, well, that even ties in with what we're looking at these days. So good to see everybody. We will, we will definitely, I'll definitely make sure we have time to sit together. So we've still got some sections in this book that I'd really like to to read. I don't think we need to do the whole book. It might be a great book to do as a book group, but and I recommend that you read it, but uh, I'll try to pick out sections that we can share together. But this one is following right on uh, the last, what we read on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. And Yeah, this is this section under the realistic worldview is wisdom is bliss, ignorance not so much. <laughs> Luckily to experience reality as suffering. Whoop, is just a mistake. Born of our wrong knowing, the opposite of the realistic worldview. Such deluded experience is not real reality. It is an unreal reality. It is illusory. Reality is bliss, freedom, indivisible. Free of the illusion of alienated self, you know with mind and body that you have always been sheer freedom, which you have either suffered or enjoyed as a holy, a holy relational loving, selfless self. When you fully experience the nature of the world, no longer separating yourself from all the other, that is, the not-you world around you, you find real bliss and you never again really suffer. So the Buddhasmic experience is true realism. So true realism is not looking at the world and seeing that it's all suffering. That suffering is, is an illusion. And that's what the Buddha, that's, that's every, everything that he wanted to find out. Why do we suffer? Why is there so much sadness in the world? So to experience reality as suffering is just a mistake, born of our wrong knowing. So what we're what we we know there is suffering in this world, but it's because of a wrong viewpoint. It's because we're seeing it wrong. We're seeing ourselves isolated from the world. So this is really important. When you fully experience the nature of the world, no longer separating yourself from all the other, the not you world, you find real bliss. Since Buddhism is realism, the Buddha's enlightenment discovery is that of the true nature of reality and thus is a scientific discovery. It is not a mystical, otherworldly experience. Though it is out of this world, great. It is the full experience of this real world. Here we need to talk a bit more about the physical discoveries Buddha made that are the source of his teachings. Buddha made the most extreme effort to penetrate to an experimental, that is experiential, 
effort, uh, insight to penetrate to an experimental, an experiential insight into the deepest, most ultimate, absolute, if you will, nature of physical reality. He put his life on the line to do so. That is to say, he faced death and kept his cool, kept his realistic awareness. He thereby discovered what he called the clear light of the void, the peaceful, inexhaustibly vibrant, yet quiescent energy plenum of emptiness or voidness, which is not really a foundational or underlying reality. Rather, it is the very actuality of reality, the matrix of all the differentiated things, each and all relationally present, because void, empty, free, of any non-relative component or essence. In other words, the fully experientially realized, uh, I'm sorry, I misread that. In other words, he fully experientially realized the nature of this reality with a non-dual immersive consciousness. In a scientific sense, he was clear that it is inexpressible in words and cannot be captured by any positive final theory. It is the non-dual absolute, inexpressively but utterly inseparable from the relative reality we normally associate with. I was just going to say, please don't ask me to explain that paragraph, but then the next paragraph, he will explain it. What I mean by relative reality is that an unknowing, suffering being is one who experiences her, him, or itself as a separate, limited entity surrounded by infinite other beings, things, and energies constantly threatening to overwhelm her, him, or it. Luckily, such an intolerable world is only illusory. An awakened Buddha being accurately seeing through the illusion and coming to know the reality, is fully overjoyed by it. He or she or she-he experiences her, him, or themselves as blissfully and invulnerably indivisible from the infinite whole of all beings and things and energies. From such an omnipresent, multifarious, multifarious vantage point, from all directions at once, so to speak, such a Buddha being can effortlessly shape her, him, or themselves to fit with what all those beings need to perceive in order to open doors for those beings' own deeper, enlightening experience. This is an inconceivable wide-open worldview from which universal empathy and compassion become totally natural. Hmm. From the very beginning, Buddha taught this reality that he had discovered quite simply as the third noble truth of freedom from suffering, Nibbana or Nirvana. 
He allowed people to understand it in whatever way was appropriate for them at particular moments in their own development. To some, he allowed them for the time being to think of it dualistically as referring to a place outside the world that they could reach by overcoming their egocentric ignorance and its attendants, lust and hate. And to others, he more precisely presented it non-dualistically as the reality of the here and now. So I think that's a very interesting uh, paragraph. He, in the beginning, from the very beginning, I'll read this again, I think it's super important. From the very beginning, Buddha taught this reality that he had discovered quite simply as the third noble truth of freedom from suffering, Nibbana. So the third noble truth is there is a way out of this suffering. So the way out was leading to Nibbana, to the, in that state of mind, Nibbana, Nirvana, that state of mind. He allowed people to understand it in whatever way was appropriate for them at particular moments in their development. That's important. So depending on where that person was in their own development, he might explain it in a more traditional way, almost like a heaven, or he could explain it as they develop their understanding to a, a, more, a more accurate view. To some, he allowed them for the time being to think of it dualistically as referring to a place outside the world that they could reach by overcoming their egocentric ignorance and its attendance, lust and hate. So those, those uh, three poisons. So those are the poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion. So to others, he more precisely presented it non-dualistically as the reality of the here and now, as being in, being in the present moment. He acknowledged right away that is that it is inconceivable and inexpressible, so it cannot be embraced effectively merely as a dogma. Instead, the good news is that you can verify and experience such reality yourself. That is just what the Buddha did. He engaged intensively in scientific exploration of the world, including within himself. When he finally experienced reality to the fullest, he exclaimed, Wow, it all is blissful, uncreated, and absolutely free, and has been so always. I am it, and all of you are too. With that discovery, he knew that all of us can understand it too. He said, Don't just believe me or believe in me without any reason. You must explore it all for yourself. Critique your misknowing ignorance. Be sharp-minded. Doubt and investigate. Doubt what I say. Think it over deeply. You must seek it. And you also can discover the deepest reality yourself through a process of total education. Though you at first see it as inconceivable, you can, bit by bit, imagine it. You will get more and more used to its possibility, 
and its taste will lighten up your experience of the illusory, which will cheer you up. So that's how he, how he understands what the Buddha was teaching. Like, experience this for yourself. There's no way I can tell you exactly what it is. I can guide you and lead you. But the path you have to take and travel yourself. Just so this is the founding of a tradition of joyful scientific discovery, without a doubt. The process of education derived from it is based on the confidence that every human being can discover the very same thing for him or herself. So I think that's enough for today. So so when, when Buddha talks about finding the end of suffering, it's all, it's all within, within us. And it's how we, how we view ourselves in this world. Are we isolated or are we connected? How are we working with those poisons in our mind? They're the things that cloud our perception and cloud our mind. And that's what we're working with which is exactly what uh, Bhante Ji was talking about in the sutra discussion that I was telling you about. So, let's stop there. If you're, inter- if you're in the book, that's we stopped on page 32. So, Sometimes it may seem like it is not realistic, not a realistic viewpoint to see ourselves connected to every every other thing, every other being, the the earth connected to uh, everything in this world. But if we spend more time in nature and if we really allow ourselves to open up, open our hearts, and begin to feel that connection, that interconnection, and that being part of it all is what will end our suffering. So, that's little by little, that's what we're working to do. It's, and that's letting go of that concept of self, letting go of seeing ourselves isolated, from all of this. So instead of moving us into fear because of uh, climate change and because of uh, turmoil and chaos in the world, the more we understand that we are all connected, the more that will relieve suffering. So that's what we're working on. It may not seem like that, but uh, I'm I'm ready. I'm I'm able to uh, have a lot of confidence in the teachings of the Buddha to keep moving in that direction. Uh, there's some there's some uh, distance to go, but it's all it's all working with this. We all have the right tools, and uh, we can find the right teachers. So why don't we sit? And we know that the beginning 
This is not uh, something difficult. This is something everyone can learn to do, and that's learning to calm the mind. As Bhante Sujatha keeps saying, we can't make the mind be still. We can't, we can't just put it at that totally still point because our mind is always be, is busy and uh, oh I'm, Eva you're asking about calling me Aya Aya is really uh, not an appropriate term anymore since I'm no longer a Bikuni I do know some uh, if if Wimala is not comfortable for you there are some nuns who I do know who use the term Ama but I'm not even sure what Ama means but um, Wimala is fine, but I, I think I'd, I'm not sure if um, Aya would be uh, really correct. But we can we can make things up as we go along, right? <laughs> okay. Um, but back to uh, the mind. We can't make our mind be completely quiet. We can't stop the mind. And we shouldn't even try. That's why we allow things to rise. We can investigate them, look at them, and um, then let them go. So we can use those techniques of investigation that allow us not to just get caught up in analytical thinking. But, But we can learn to calm the mind, which allows us to see things more clearly. As we calm it, we have fewer thoughts of uh, greed and aversion and ignorance doesn't arise we're trying because we're trying to see things as they really are so it's never uh, that's never a bad way to start every practice is to allowing the body and the mind to become calmer more at peace and uh, I love as I've told you before, I love the way Bhikkhu Bodhi at, at the beginning of meditation will often say, you now with the body becoming more calm, then just allow your mind just to feel that, uh, see that image of the mind just dropping down into the body. And I love that because the mind, we, we, often thinks, think of our mind as somewhere here, out here, and the body is, is here. And they're all connected. We need to see them all as a part of the package. And of course the mind is, and that consciousness is, becomes larger, but the mind is part of our, it's our, one of our senses. And it's really good to think of it like rooted in the earth, rooted in the body. So uh, just let your body breathe for you. Be aware of the body breathing. If you can, just breathe in and out through your nose.
relax, let go, let go, let go of whatever's been on your mind lately. Be aware of the thoughts coming through your mind. We're not repressing those thoughts. We just want to see if we can let go of the things that we have been dragging around with us all day or maybe for a long time. Let go and let be. Just let things be as they are right now. Nothing to fix, nothing to change. We want to be here in the present. Be aware of your body. Be aware of anything rising up in your body, any feeling of pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. Be aware of any Emotions rising up in response to something in your awareness. Allow thoughts to come and go without feeding them with your attention. But be aware, be present. If we allow our sense of isolation, our sense of separation, if we build that up, if it's very strong, we may see just the sounds coming in through our ears as uh, 
something that irritates us or we wish it wasn't there. We would like it to be quiet. And the more we just see ourselves as part of all this, connected to all of this, we might be able to drop some guards that cause those reactions I hope you can still sit. Uh, my time is up with you this morning, but I hope you can, if you have time, if you can sit a few more minutes, just allowing the mind to get a little calmer, just a little settle, settling down, you may feel that it's a good time to continue and just be in the silence, let that awareness just keep extending out. And may all of you be well, happy, and peaceful. And may you practice metta towards yourself and your loved ones and your acquaintances and your difficult people and then all beings, human and non-human. May you just carry that metta practice with you today. And may everything that we do and think and say be done not only for our own benefits but also for all living beings human and non-human. Thank you.